The Beers List. It's not just something you find in your local pub, but also a tool to help identify potentially inappropriate medication use in older adults. While both could potentially result in a trip to the hospital, it's adverse drug reactions that are one of the top reasons older adults present to hospital and one of the greatest threats to their health. Today, a patient is coming in to reassess the ongoing need for all the medications they are currently prescribed, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled Medication or Libation, The Beers List. Time for our minute physiology. Medications affect adults differently as they age for multiple reasons. First, there are pharmacokinetic changes, i.e. changes in how the body processes drugs, which includes the absorption, distribution, metabolism, and excretion of drugs, also known as ADME. A. Absorption. Absorption may be mildly impaired by decreased stomach acidity and decreased intestinal transit. D. Distribution. Due to an increase in relative body fat in older adults, there is an increase in the volume of distribution of lipophilic drugs, resulting in a longer half-life. Older adults may also have reductions in their serum albumin, which can affect the distribution of medications that are protein-bound. The plasma concentrations of medications such as phenytoin and valproic acid will increase in hypoalbuminemic patients, such that toxicity can occur at seemingly normal total drug levels. In these patients, monitoring free drug levels is helpful. M. Metabolism Phase 1 hepatic metabolism by the cytochrome P450 family of enzymes is reduced by up to 50% due to a decrease in liver mass, blood flow, and metabolic rate. E. Elimination Elimination may decrease due to a decline in glomerular filtration rate with age, even in the absence of chronic kidney disease. There are also pharmacodynamic changes, i.e. what the drug does to the body. Older adults tend to be more sensitive to several classes of drugs such as anticoagulant, cardiovascular, and psychotropic drugs. This occurs due to physiologic changes at the drug receptor level as well as decreased cognitive and physiologic reserves making them more vulnerable to adverse effects such as sedation and orthostasis. In addition to age-related pharmacokinetic and pharmacodynamic changes, older adults are more prone to pharmacokinetic and pharmacodynamics drug-drug interactions simply because of their greater number of comorbidities, prescribers, and consequently medications. Polypharmacy is defined as being prescribed five or more medications, and it affects nearly half of Canadians aged 85 or older. Polypharmacy is often well-intentioned, wherein clinicians are prescribing individual medications for isolated conditions that either were once indicated, but no longer, or simply because of the number of comorbidities, result in a lot of prescribed drugs. It is also difficult to overcome the inertia of prescriptions and to stop drugs, especially if there are multiple care providers. Additionally, inadvertent prescribing cascades, which is when the side effect of one medication is treated with another medication, also contributes to polypharmacy. A common example is the development of ankle edema after starting a calcium channel blocker, leading to the prescription of a diuretic. Another important factor when prescribing for older adults is the problem of inappropriate drug selection. Some drugs should not be used in most older adults, while some are indicated but should be used with caution. This is where the beers list comes in handy, a guide for clinicians reviewing potentially inappropriate medications in older adults. Let's start with an overview. The Beers List was developed in 1991 by Dr. Mark Beers and an expert consensus panel with the goal of reducing preventable adverse drug reactions amongst older adults in nursing homes. It is the most widely cited criteria for assessing potentially inappropriate drug prescribing. 
The medications on their list are included mainly on the basis of their high risk for adverse events. The list includes five categories of medications. First, those that are potentially inappropriate in most older adults, such as benzodiazepines. Second, those that should be avoided in older adults with certain conditions, such as metoclopramide in patients with Parkinson's disease. Metoclopramide is a dopamine receptor antagonist and may worsen Parkinsonian symptoms. Third, drugs to use with caution, such as trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, which can cause hyperkalemia. Fourth, combinations of medications that should be avoided due to the potential for drug-drug interactions, such as steroids and NSAIDs, which can increase the risk of peptic ulcers or GI bleeding. Fifth, drugs that should be avoided or have their dose adjusted in the setting of renal impairment, such as pregabalin and gabapentin. The beers list is updated approximately every three years by the American Geriatric Society. It was most recently updated in 2019 and is now targeted to all adults aged 65 years and over, including those living in the community. Okay, let's move on to a case. Let's take a look at the beers list in action, starting with the case of Debbie's delirium. 80-year-old Debbie has mild cognitive impairment and is admitted to the internal medicine service with delirium secondary to a UTI. She's treated with antibiotics and her delirium improves. Before discharge, her daughter mentions this has happened several times in the last few years and is asking what can be done to decrease her risk of delirium. You take her medication list and compare it with a beers list, identifying various problematic prescriptions. She's on hydromorphone for neosteoarthritis and lorazepam for sleep. The beers list recommends avoiding the combination of opioids and benzodiazepines due to increased risk of overdose. It also recommends avoiding combining three or more CNS active agents such as opioids, benzodiazepines, antidepressants, antipsychotics, and antiepileptics due to increased risk of falls. Debbie is also on paroxetine for depression and oxybutynin for the urinary urge incontinence that she was experiencing during a previous admission for UTI and delirium. You ask her about over-the-counter medications and learn that she was self-medicating with dimenhydrinate for sleep and diphenhydramine for seasonal allergies. All of these medications are highly anticholinergic with risks of confusion, sedation, dry mouth, constipation, urinary retention, and falls in older adults, particularly when used in combination. In 2015, the American Geriatric Society published a list of alternative medications and non-pharmacological approaches that should be considered instead of the beers list medications. You use this list and make a plan with Debbie and her daughter, coming up with the following. For her osteoarthritis, for which she was on hydromorphone, she will use standing acetaminophen and start a physiotherapy program. If she's still needing more pain relief, a topical NSAID can be added since the systemic effects are much lower than those of an oral NSAID. For her sleep, you decide to slowly taper her lorazepam and counsel her on sleep hygiene. Melatonin can be added if necessary. For her depression, you liaise with her psychiatrist and replace paroxetine with citalopram, which has minimal anticholinergic effects. You work with pharmacy to develop a clear transition schedule to avoid serotonin toxicity. Other safe alternatives include acetalopram and sertraline. For her urinary incontinence, you decide to stop oxybutynin since her urge incontinence may have been related to her urinary tract infection. If it recurs off oxybutynin, you tell her to keep a bladder diary and refer her to resources on bladder training. If these measures fail, a non-anticholinergic agent for urge incontinence such as mirabegron can be used. For her allergies, you tell her to stop using diphenhydramine and instead try a saline nasal spray plus a newer generation antihistamine such as cetirizine or loratadine if needed. The newer generation antihistamines have a lower tendency to cross the blood-brain barrier and therefore fewer central effects. 
Avoidance of first-generation antihistamines due to their unfavorable risk-benefit profile is also supported by recent recommendations from the Canadian Society of Allergy Clinical Immunology. Lastly, if she had been using dimenhydrinate for nausea rather than sleep, a safer alternative would have been ondansetron as long as her QTC is within lower limits. You use this encounter to illustrate to your medical student the importance of reviewing medication lists. For every medication, consider the indication, appropriate dose, drug-drug or drug-disease interactions, and whether medications could have contributed to your patient's presentation. You communicate the plan to her family doctor who will implement these changes gradually over several weeks. One year later, you get a call from her daughter saying that her MOCA score improved and she has not had any further admissions to hospital for delirium. Finally, Debbie is delirious no more. Okay, on to the case of hemorrhaging hyperkalemic hypoglycemic Harry. 75-year-old Harry is admitted with an upper GI bleed. He has atrial fibrillation on warfarin and amiodarone, hypertension on ramipril, type 2 diabetes on glycoside, and chronic kidney disease with a baseline creatinine of 120. His admission blood work reveals an INR of 8, potassium of 6, creatinine of 180, and blood glucose of 2.4. He's resuscitated with fluids and later tells you that he's been unwell with a UTI recently, for which he was using an NSAID for the discomfort, and just completed a one-week course of trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole. Gastroscopy reveals a gastric ulcer, thought to be the culprit for his bleed. Given your success with using the beers list for Debbie's delirium, you use it while reviewing Harry's medications and are surprised to find all of his medications except ramipril on the list. Harry was prescribed trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole for a UTI. Trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole has various potential adverse effects, with one of the most common being hyperkalemia. This occurs due to trimethoprim inhibiting the epithelial sodium channel and consequently potassium elimination in the distal nephron, effectively acting as a potassium-sparing diuretic. Given the risk of significant hyperkalemia, the Beers list states that trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole should be used with caution in patients on ACE inhibitors or ARBs with reduced renal function. This recommendation is backed by real-world data demonstrating that compared to amoxicillin, use of trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole for a UTI in older adults on an ACE or ARB was associated with a nearly seven-fold increased risk of hyperkalemia-associated hospitalization and a 1.4-fold increased risk of sudden death. Trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole is a repeat offender on the beers list, as it is also flagged for its potential drug-drug interaction with warfarin. While trimethoprim can lead to hyperkalemia, the sulfamethoxazole component of it inhibits CYP2C9, the enzyme that metabolizes the S enantiomer of warfarin, which has the greatest anticoagulant effect. By inhibiting CYP2C9, sulfamethoxazole can increase warfarin levels, leading to supertherapeutic INRs and increased risk of bleeding. Our patient is also on a second medication that is metabolized by CYP2C9, glycoside. Just as trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole can lead to increased warfarin levels, it can also lead to increased levels of sulfonylureas, potentially causing life-threatening hypoglycemia. Even in the absence of trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, sulfonylureas are considered by the beers list to be a potentially inappropriate medication in most older adults due to risk of severe prolonged hypoglycemia. Diabetes Canada similarly warns about the dangers of using sulfonylureas in older adults as the risk of severe hypoglycemia increases substantially with age. So far, we've explained Harry's hyperkalemia, supertherapeutic INR, and hypoglycemia. But why did he start bleeding in the first place? Remember that he was taking an NSAID for his dysuria. NSAIDs are mentioned several times in the beers list. They are considered potentially inappropriate medications in most older adults due to their risk of peptic ulcer disease or GI bleeding. They should also be avoided in older adults with certain conditions such as heart failure or chronic kidney disease that can be exacerbated by NSAIDs. 
Choosing Wisely Canada also adds hypertension to this list. Combining NSAIDs with other medications such as corticosteroids or warfarin can further increase the risk of GI bleeding. The last medication of Harry's that you flag using the beers list is amiodarone. While there are specific indications for amiodarone, it's considered a potentially inappropriate medication in most older adults when used as first line for atrial fibrillation, given its toxicities. These include pneumonitis, hypo or hyperthyroidism, hepatotoxicity, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and neurotoxicity. When Harry is feeling better, you counsel him about how NSAIDs can cause worsening kidney function, contribute to the development of gastric ulcers, and worsen bleeding. You also mention that they can worsen hypertension and in combination with trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole can cause hyperkalemia. The next time antibiotics are required, alternatives to trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole should be used whenever possible. To avoid an interaction, his warfarin could also be switched to another anticoagulant such as a pixaban, since his acute kidney injury resolved and he has non-valvular atrial fibrillation. A pixaban has a lower risk of GI bleeding, lower likelihood of drug-drug interactions, and would eliminate the need for INR monitoring and dietary modification. The major downside of apixaban and other direct oral anticoagulants is that the efficacy of currently available reversal agents is not as well established compared to the reversal agents for warfarin. If alternatives were not possible, his INR should be monitored closely and he should be counseled about bleeding symptoms. For his amiodarone, you can liaise with the prescriber to determine if there is an indication for rhythm control, and if not, whether other safer agents such as beta blockers have been tried. No medication review is complete without looking for opportunities to deprescribe. You recheck Harry's hemoglobin A1c, which comes back at 6.0. You make a shared decision to stop glycoside, as he is well below the target of 7. If an oral antihyperglycemic agent is required in future, a safer option would be a DPP-4 inhibitor, such as cetagliptin or linagliptin, which have a lower risk of hypoglycemia and can be used in chronic kidney disease. Lastly, while ramipril is not on the beers list, you counsel him about this being a sick day medication meaning that he should not take it when he is unwell and not eating or drinking much due to the risk of acute kidney injury. Of note, from his old list of medications, other sick day medications would have included his glycoside and NSAIDs. Alright, now let's recap. We learned that medications affect older adults differently than other patients for multiple reasons, including pharmacokinetic changes, i.e. changes in how the body processes drugs, pharmacodynamic changes, i.e. what the drug does to the body, and higher rates of polypharmacy. We learned that the beers list is the most widely cited criteria for assessing potentially inappropriate drug prescribing, and we practiced using it for two patients admitted to our internal medicine service. From the case of Debbie's delirium, we learned that we should avoid the combination of opioids and benzodiazepines due to the increased risk of overdose, as well as the combination of three or more CNS active agents such as opioids, benzodiazepines, antidepressants, antipsychotics, and antiepileptics due to increased risk of falls. We also learned about the importance of minimizing use of medications with anticholinergic effects, such as certain SSRIs and incontinence medications, as well as dimenhydrinate and diphenhydramine. Anticholinergic medications carry a risk of confusion, sedation, dry mouth, constipation, urinary retention, and falls in older adults, particularly when used in combination. From the case of hemorrhaging hyperkalemic hypoglycemic hairy, we learned about the various risks of trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, such as hyperkalemia, particularly when combined with an ACE inhibitor or ARB in patients with renal impairment. We learned that trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole can raise levels of other drugs such as warfarin and sulfonylureas by inhibiting CYP2C9 an enzyme responsible for their metabolism. We also learned about potential adverse effects of NSAIDs and amiodarone. 
Lastly, we heard about alternatives to these potentially inappropriate medications and how to counsel patients if alternatives do not exist. Now let's finish with our medicine minute. The Beerus list mentions aspirin as a potentially inappropriate medication that should be used with caution if the only indication is primary prevention of cardiovascular disease. Previously, this recommendation only applied to adults aged 80 or over. The 2019 Beerus list lowered the threshold to age 70 and over, given the increased risk of bleeding and lack of net benefit for primary prevention. This recommendation is supported by a landmark trial that was published after the creation of the 2019 Beerus list called the Aspirin and Reducing Events in the Elderly, ASPRI trial. ASPRI was a double-blind, randomized controlled trial in 19,000 healthy community-dwelling older adults, median age 74, comparing daily low-dose aspirin to placebo. They found that low-dose aspirin used for primary prevention in this population increased rates of major hemorrhage without conferring a benefit on mortality, disability-free survival, or cardiovascular events. Alright, that's all for today. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Medication or Libation, The Beers List. This episode was written by Dr. Carolyn Tang, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Vicky Chow and Dr. Pete Wu. The Internet Work series was created by Allison Lai and is directed by Zara Morali and Leah Karianopoulos. This episode was recorded and produced by Leah Karianopoulos. Theme song by Lakshmi Vasanthamoa. If you like this episode, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to check out www.theinternetwork.com for associated resources and infographics. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.